0: Every now and then, it makes sense to return to the roots. And now we are returning to the roots. We are having the one and only Patrick Debois, who coined the term DevOps, who established the first DevOps Days. And he's going to join us to talk how to overcome security issues through the same mindset and approach that brought us DevOps.
1: Good morning and thanks for having me. Um, Yes, I've been there from the beginning uh, at DevOps. Um, I keep saying it's an accident uh, that I've been promoting DevOps uh, from the beginning for so many years. And it's in that light that you have to see this uh, presentation where I go back to the roots, um, where I go from DevOps and people want me to explain kind of the new kid on the block, which is DevSecOps. It's not that new anymore, but people want to hear what they, what we could have learned from DevOps and we can apply to DevSecOps. First of all, also a big thanks to Sneak, who kind of like allowed me to spend time on this presentation and help me with kind of uh, putting pieces together and listening in on conversations. Uh, I'm there as an advisor, but this is not a sneak presentation, but I just want to give them a shout out to you know, their support on me looking and studying the field. Coming back to the history, when I first set out to think about DevOps in general, I had a very team-centric view. I was working with agile teams. I was working together with people. I was not considering global management structures on how to implement or kind of embed DevOps into an organization. It was very much team-centric, and I still believe that is the view uh, that uh, is the most helpful to help the people on the floor. Uh, it's a little bit like in the factories, have the people that actually do the work, that they sort out the problems they're having. Um, I'm not saying you don't need a more central approach, but today I'm going to more focus on what you can do as a team uh, in DevSecOps uh, and in DevOps uh, and not on the structure in in general of managing it. The way that I think about um, DevOps and DevSecOps is about friction points and What we learned over the past 10 years is the friction point between Dev and Ops and security now uh, being in different silos. And those friction points were created by putting uh, a kind of a command and control structure in between. So if you're looking for what you can do to do a DevOps or a DevSecOps transformation, you look at what are the friction points that got introduced by the silos? Uh, A few of the obvious ones are the stack, right? The people running the servers used to be separate from the people coding uh, the, the actual application. The environments, the production environment, was separated from the people doing the coding on their laptop. And it was all, you know, with good intentions, and I'm not saying, you know, historically, this was probably the aim we were going for because stability and command and control at that time was seen as the way to go. And with it, we also brought separation of prioritization. Should we like prioritize a feature? Should we prioritize stability? Uh, where do we spend our budget? Who gets to control what goes on? And that goes up all the way up to hiring, setting incentives, and then on the personal level as well. We kept kind of like shutting down people. Well, they only need to know how to write code. They other group only needs to know about security and the other group only needs to know about the operational side. So what I've seen over the past is that DevOps actually pushed the, the code toward production. Um, and you could say that's the shift ride, the shift kind of towards production, the delivery mindset. We've already had the shift from a customer uh, to have the features closer to the team. And that was the movement of Agile. And then the cloud with the whole virtualization and the abstraction layers kind of moved operations up the stack. We're not maybe doing our bare metal anymore. We're kind of like have an abstraction layer for compute. And you know, recently with serverless and functions and all the abstraction layers just go up. And then came around DevSecOps and they started talking about the idea of shift left. And the same ideas were already there in DevOps. You know, kind of, you know, you push the delivery. But the best way to take care of what gets pushed to delivery. to fix problems early in the value stream Uh, and that's kind of like my summary of the pressures and the shifts that kind of pushed the central command and control out of the middle circle pushed the management kind of around the team and made the team the central point uh, to uh, overcome this you will notice in the next slides i have On the right lower side, I have books. And each of the books kind of, you know, goes accompanied with the slide. Uh, Each of the books is a book and a presentation on its own. So this will be an over-aging team where you can find more pointers to learn about each of the slides that I'm talking about. But it's important to know that the pressure kind of is building up for the team. And that's kind of my worldview, is that the team is becoming the central part of dealing with the problems in the modern IT organization. And if you want to take that a step further, uh, the ultimate goal is to have an autonomous team. And there's a lot of kind of like debate around well autonomy, how much you can give autonomy uh, to a team, yes and no. And we'll get to that later, that it's not an instant step. It doesn't make sense just to make it team autonomous and say, you know, go figure out everything. There's a kind of a logical order, almost like a learning curve uh, that a team needs to become autonomous. But in essence, what I think DevOps and DevSecOps kind of made possible was that the shift is to making that team autonomous. Where you draw the line between how much it is centrally managed and how much it is controlled, that is the kind of different part in each of the organization. And that's what I call the the just enough approach. And the just enough is different uh, in each of the layers. Like my mother used to say, um, everybody equal doesn't mean everybody the same. And it will be the same in your organization, uh, kind of how this autonomous notion uh, is perceived um, on the floor. And to understand how this notion of a team operates uh, within a company, uh, we can look back at the different collaboration cultures. This is a diagram that comes from a book called Reinventing Organization by Frederic Laloux, a fellow Belgian person. And it talks about the historical shift of organizations and how they have perceived collaboration culture uh, over the years. Not so long ago, there was a strong command and control. We've seen it in previous slides, like the, you know, the management kind of control what's get in and what gets out. Uh, you could say this is when we had the castles with kind of like the people coming in, the people coming out, and we have this notion of controlling everything. You sometimes still see this in the metaphor of, you know, uh, the early vault, the early kind of castles in security. You know, it's all like protecting uh, to do this. then after a while you know kind of this created a kind of order it wasn't perfect and we moved on to kind of look at things like the stability and the stability is kind of when we move from the castles uh to the factory we started creating things repeatedly We, we kind of tried to put things under control uh and make this uh kind of like a stable system um Again, this wasn't perfect, and we learned that just my making this uh, repeatable isn't enough. So we kind of went a step further, and we introduced scientific ideas and the scientific approach by measuring and putting KPIs. And we, we want to give merit to everybody in the company, and we, merit, we measure the, uh, uh, what kind of value they bring, and then we kind of bring that into the merit they kind of earn. So this is pretty much kind of the scientific, we measure everything that somebody does in a company. Next step we took was around collaborative, uh, or sometimes seen as the customer-centric. And you will see this in initiatives where they kind of uh, not just look at the automation, not just put the measurement in place, but they kind of make it self-servicing. They kind of make it customer-centric. So it's... A step up in kind of trying to control the automation, kind of you know looking at internally, doing the measurement internally, it's becoming, every team is becoming a customer of the transformation. And then the last evolution is that we started making teams autonomously. And contrary to the customer-centric, which is still much an offering of what the central team can kind of offer on automation, we kind of flip the charts and we kind of give the team itself autonomy. It's not intended that I use the word evolutionary, but the top level doesn't kind of uh, replace all the lower areas. And while when I found this kind of graphic, I understood that we'll always have some way of doing command and control to create stability. We're always going to I have to work on automation. We're always going to work on measurement. We're always going to make it self-servicing and we're making it autonomously. So all these kind of layers will keep uh, being embedded in your company. What does it mean for DevSecOps or DevOps? It probably means that by looking at this diagram, you could pretty much figure out how your company culture looks like. What is the kind of most important value that your company thinks they are working on? Are they all about like automation, stability? Are they still kind of looking at the control phase only? Are they really looking into collaboratively or empowering the team? And the, the book claims that it is your CEO that sets the tone. And that's, probably going to set the tone of your transformation by saying what part or what of these areas is getting more value but make no mistake all of these are uh, important in a successful transformation but it depends on where you are in the spectrum that it kind of like will resonate more with you uh, on the floor you kind of see this level up of different layers uh, from control to uh, kind of evolutionary uh, in uh, the dev, uh, DevOps team patterns. And you could say there are DevSecOps team patterns as well. Uh, in their website DevOps topologies, uh, you can see how much of the overlap between dev and ops uh, people allow in certain organizations. So some will say, well, there is a little bit of uh, collaboration. Others go for the complete team autonomous and they do everything in a shared way. Some would just say it's a transient thing and will go away. And others will kind of keep the liaison officers in between going strongly as the DevOps group. And others just say it's a technical transformation. We're just going to put some containers and some DevOps and it's done. In a way, they're all valid patterns. But depending on your culture, there is going to be a better match. And depending on the pattern you will have different results. Usually people say having a DevOps team is an anti-pattern. That's true in a way that when you have a separate team that only focuses on their own, then that's a problem. If that's your enablement team, then that's fine. It's kind of like the evangelists going into the different groups and kind of collaborating and making sure you foster the collaboration. Uh, So the most important takeaway is that these topologies exist and when you start your transformation i want you to think about the patterns the teams uh, makes most sense in your organization in your collaboration culture that your company has and then make sure you kind of like align towards this um, the website is interesting in that way that it says like some of the patterns will have more results but you can't just use one of the patterns that you know it describes as the most results, and not have your culture support it. Yeah. So it's typically kind of a level up game there. The team has different way of interacting. And in DevOps, it was the operational team or the infrastructural team uh, talking to the development team uh, and kind of aligning those. And we found that there's three ways of interacting. There's the usual collaboration. We kind of talk and we kind of like come together. There's building everything as a service, which is the automation way. And usually uh, those kind of go hand in hand. There's some collaboration happening. There's some kind of automation happening. And this kind of gives like a good feedback loop. But there's a third level, uh, which is facilitating. Uh, And sometimes that is a platform team. Sometimes that's an enabling team. Um, But it's important to know that once you kind of know your company culture which it is you kind of look at your topologies you kind of want to see how you're thinking about interacting with the security team versus the application team the operational team versus the application team and kind of look at how that would work having them just collaborate and work together is not enough what i see is a lot of people look at transformations as a way how they can make things more secure. Uh, and they're very focused about the principles of you know, uh, technology uh, and making sure no vulnerabilities exist. And that's a good point. And it goes hand in hand with kind of the control and make sure you have on everything under on control uh, to make sure that happens. But as a lot of teams have kind of went from DevOps silos to the DevOps collaboration thing, DevSecOps added this extra layer and we couldn't kind of like uh, put ourselves in between. And that's why um, the security team actually needs to build up the trust from the developer team. Uh, They can't just force things to the developer team. And on the other side, the developer team has to gain the trust of the security team. So it goes in both ways. In the thin book of trust, they kind of use these, those four areas, the sincerity, the reliability, the competence, and the care. And for a lot of people, the competence is clear. Yes, developers need to learn about uh, making code secure, and security people need to learn about kind of coding practices and AppSec practices and, and testing uh, in that area. But competence alone is not enough. Um, You need to be sincere and reliable and care about it. And sincere could mean, uh, from the security people, is that they actually understand when things don't get uh, scheduled on the backlog. Or the developer people can understand why security can get higher priority than a feature. Reliability is that both of them are there at the correct time. They are there at stand-ups. They are there at making decisions. They are there at incidents. And they kind of like, you know, are available every time it's needed. They are there. But you can be sincere, reliable, and competent and not even care. And that's kind of the hardest part to have people care about security. Because face it, if you're just listing out the vulnerabilities Uh, You understand the vulnerabilities, and you're just going to tick the box on vulnerabilities, but you don't really care about fixing and making your application secure. It's just going to be a drop in the pocket. So you kind of have to work on making this trust, trustworthy. And I think that is the most significant dance that is actually happening between the security team, and the actual team. That is the dance of building that trust. And we do that by various ways of, you know, other um, uh, interactions. And from what I heard and many transformation, and many people I talked to, this is what I settled on. Is this a perfect model? It's not. But it is, for me, easy to understand. And there's a lot of the uh, discussion always going on, like, what we are building to make that secure. And I call that the secure stack. Then how we are delivering the secure stack, which is secure delivery. And then the process to kind of keep the delivery and the people and everything in check uh, is the security governance. And then the fourth area that I want people to focus on in, during a transformation is how to empower the teams. But I, Because I think that is an equally important part and not just like a, a slightly uh, small part of it. So people ask me, how do you get started with uh, kind of the secure stack? And it's uh, probably the easiest because it's the most tangible, it's technology. But make mis- no mistake, um, it is not just about making it technically. Behind all these boxes on the screen, there's actually people. Uh, whether you're managing the container, whether you're managing the cloud, whether you're managing external services, that is all people behind it. And your processes will probably get a maturity level of dealing with some of that stuff. And it will help kind of people building around those parts. Um, This is what most people focus on from my stories that I hear in uh, uh, kind of DevSecOps, which is the AppSec kind of side. But there's also parts around how the code itself can be integrated in security frameworks like user management, authorization, and secret key management. And then the operational part, the monitoring, the errors, and the logging. Because... You might say, what has monitoring and error exception and logging have to do with DevSecOps? Well, it's making your application more observable and making it more understandable when anomalies or attacks are happening. So I see this as an integral part of DevSecOps to deal with that as well. And then as a fourth pillar, which I kind of dubbed the business part. There's the data, privacy, the licensing. There's everything that is kind of like going out or being produced by the stack uh, that makes sense so the team itself can go eat into each of these areas and will level up in each of those areas and that will help to make more secure uh, what uh, they are delivering so the next phase or area that I want people to look at then is how are you delivering it um, you know Is your laptop secure? Are your tools being vetted? Uh, Is your kind of environment uh, itself secure? Do you verify your repositories? And you see the further along you get in kind of the the environment cycle um, or the environments, there's different things we can do. Um, I do not decouple the development from the operational part because I think DevSecOps is that the team is allowed to kind of uh, integrate themselves in each of those areas. Does that mean they kind of have to build all the repositories themselves or build a logging system themselves or build all the controls themselves? No, but they are really instrumental in making that useful for the other teams as well. So it goes much further than just keeping it secure in development. Uh, I think we should span Uh, the whole uh, cycle there. Up until now, we've been talking about more of technical side, the stack and the delivery. Um, But a developer or a team can actually engage in a lot of the security practices. For example, if you just have your vulnerability management uh, and you start scanning your vulnerabilities, uh, you can help by setting a policy, and that gives visibility to the security team. The same with the threat management um, the, if you start doing threat modeling uh, on your code and you kind of start listing the threats um, then you know you help security um i could go all, over all the list but some things people don't immediately associate with uh DevSecOps, but like the supplier management why isn't that just the sole kind of thing from the security people well If a team is autonomously, and they can select their own tool set, their own versions, their own suppliers, those tools need to be vetted for security. So, probably your security team is way better at doing those assessments, but the team can already help by pinging the security team and saying, hey, we're gonna use a new tool. And um, how about you verify, do you have any kind of advice on how we should select these tools? And you start kind of seeing the team engage in what are usually very security-centric uh, processes. Um, again, the overlap is not complete, um, but it is a, a third part where uh, the team itself can take a, a big step uh, for the overall security um, of the application or the company. And then as the last part of the, I see the empowerment. We can have the stack, we can have the delivery and the governance. But I would advise you to kind of like have a specific call out that looks at how you build the empowerment of the team. From my experience, I've seen this collaboration dance usually start with the security team sends some of the scans and the worries. And then the application team responds back with some insights and some feedback. And you kind of uh, have this phase of awareness and you kind of learn uh, from this. Uh, But collaboration by itself is usually not enough. Um, Then you want your team to kind of train and learn about new security areas. And again, that is a, a maturity level where first they only you know, ad hoc look at some of the security. Then they kind of learn about the issues that the security team mentioned them. Then they go deeper in their stack, and then they start proactively learning about new security uh, issues. And as the learning and the collaboration increases, the accountability of the team can increase. Um, and that's because of the competence and the um, kind of the reliability and the sincerity that is built up in the collaboration and the learning col- uh, culture. So that's when you kind of start seeing flippings part of the accountability to the team. Um, usually there, there's have to be happening a lot more collaboration and learning before the accountability can increase. And then at the lots part, we want to give that authority to the actual team again there's a spectrum on how much authority you can give that to the people it is a, a kind of like a build up of all these skills and and i think that like looking at those four areas is equally important than looking at your stack or your delivery or your kind of like uh, governance um the, the book that I mentioned, Agile Conversations, was in a talk previously yesterday, um, but I, I think it's a good way of like, this kind of conversations and having meaningful conversations and learning how to have a good conversation between the two groups is instrumental to uh, making that culture improve. And so in the end, when I look at the DevOps uh, DevSecOps maturity, um, I see those four pillars as building up and becoming more mature. So instead of it being a sec- security-owned uh, uh, issue or you know, in the past, the operational uh, issue, that it becomes like a team embedded thing. And that is what I ultimately see as what DevSecOps uh, is trying to strive for. The empowerment will probably be helped by the governance, and that one will be probably be helped by the delivery and the stack kind of be uh, helping the delivery. So there is a kind of a, not saying cyclic, but there is a causal effect in each of those areas. So if you only are focused on, I'm going to scan my code and that's secure and my stack and I'm done with DevSecOps, it's probably not going to be sufficient. If I'm only going to work on my pipeline and making sure that, you know, delivery process is secure, not enough. If I'm only going to go on the processes, not enough. So all of these kind of buildups making it, happen is that uh, this levels up. And that's at least was my in, initial intention with uh, DevOps as well, kind of like building this, that the team can own uh, the whole stack. Uh, but it, it needs to level up first in various parts. And it uses kind of automation and measurement and each of the other layers uh, that we discussed uh, before. It kind of really focuses on overcoming those friction points. Um, And if you look closely at your current friction points, that's where I advise you to start. Uh, It's the idea of like fix your bottleneck and make sure you kind of uh, keep that focus on the ball. Your bottleneck will shift from one area to the other. uh, But looking at the friction points that were created by the silos is probably a good place to start. I call the rest plain engineering. I'm not saying it's easy engineering. Um, and I'm not saying it's not valuable. Uh, as I mentioned before, the automation and the technology will influence kind of the handover or the creation of extra time uh, in uh, the transformation. So both go hand in hand. So TILSAL culture, you know, have their use in the dev, DevOps and DevSecOps transformation. And you can't like put themselves uh, kind of loose from each other, only do the tools, only do the culture, but it's a, a kind of a collaboration between both. And that brings me to the final part because uh, you could have all the checkboxes in four of the uh, all the four areas, you have leveled up in all of the areas, but you will be narrowed done. And I'm sorry to say this, but there are a few paradoxes at play. Um, there's the paradox at the command and control layer, the more you want to control, probably the less you're going to control. The more you automate, the after a while, the less you still understand the s- systems beneath, and then you have to start with uh, kind of chaos engineering um, and make sure you're still trained for when things happen. Uh, the same thing is with the measurement. and measurements are good. But if the measurement becomes the goal, then you might get like a view that's uh, skewed and uh, you don't measure the right things anymore. And the same thing is with becoming customer centric is that it doesn't listen anymore to what the people actually want, because you will have the main way that people want to do things, but what uh, about dealing with exceptions? So you still need to get good at exceptions and learn about the exceptions. So a lot of the learning actually shifts from getting things under control to understanding more of the exceptions and what can happen there. I'd love to hear your feedback if this model resonates with you. Uh, we'll be releasing more of the maturity levels in each of the areas and each of the parts that I uh, mentioned. Um, but this is my presentation. I tried to give you a holistic overview of what to think about in DevSecOps how it relates to team and how people can kind of like come uh, overcome this first steps by spiraling up all these kind of uh, different areas um that i i think are important uh, in the transformation uh so thank you very much
0: thank you patrick and uh Truthful to the trend, we have a lot of questions for you, uh, and we have time to go through them. So let me go to the highest level of abstraction on on this and ask a question that starts from there, and then we start to um, move on from there. There was a comment, and not not a well. There is a question missing the legal requirements on security. How to manage that?
1: In all of the cases I've seen, is that the legal uh, is usually. Uh, first residing in the security team. So they have a, a kind of a good understanding of uh, certain implications and they've been in contact with the legal team itself. So the team or the application team might not be aware of all those legal implications. Uh, usually then it starts with a kind of a session of an education where the security team kind of like explains what the, the world is that team lives in, the domain, um, and those um, areas, and then they kind of do a joint call on uh, you know what that could mean in their part of the application or what they need to take care of uh, so the first part is making it aware um, then usually the step comes about creating a process of uh, when new things get added or with the existing things to improve that uh, and then the team starts. Uh, asking the security team for, hey, we have this new thing. What about this? Could you have a look? Uh, Then the security team starts creating some guidelines. Hey, if you have this kind of tool, let's look at that. If you have that kind of tool, look at that. And they start building the list of requirements that teams could give the legal team and the security team to understand better how this fits into the legal framework. Um, And after a while, you see this building up as, A kind of very close collaboration. Something new comes in, the legal is uh, advised, other people step in, and there's a process that is kind of like more and more uh, refined uh, to get that advice. Uh, So it's not the ivory tower anymore that goes into the audit and then says, like, we're not compliant, we're compliant. It's kind of educating the team to make sure they understand in what kind of context they are working in.
0: Thank you.
2: There's a question from Roda on um, uh, the future of uh, engineering, a small one. So there's a lot of that overlap due to the DevOps way of working. How do we see the future? Is everybody going to do everything with no expertise in one or two fields? Or is there another way of working?
1: Yeah, um, it's a question that comes up quite often. Um, it is very tempting to think we're all going to be kind of the full stack and the full engineers. Uh, but that means uh, often we will miss depth. And it's easy to, uh, to think you're able to do this in one person. Uh, but it's, it's, in, in modern things, it's not possible anymore. So you, you usually, the best way to do it is to have a network of people you trust that cover other areas. But what really helps is that you have empathy and understanding of the other areas, but you don't need to have all the solutions, but awareness of that things are happening in security. Like we mentioned, the legal uh, vulnerability in other areas. If nobody makes you aware of these things, you can't know them, but it doesn't mean you can keep up to date uh, on all of these areas. Uh, So that's why I see the future in the teams collaborating with a overlapping skill sets, but not one person or every person needs to have everything. Uh, There's usually a specialist to kind of uh, work on each of the fields. And that's, I think, is the best collaboration process.
2: Makes a lot of sense. Thank you.
0: So moving on, um, what if you have, what if you don't have a security team and the management thinks it's not necessary, not a priority, and uh, it's just a money sink call? how would you approach that to make the case for management?
1: Um, all of the things that I mentioned in a presentation, um, it doesn't require a security team to tell you that it's a good thing. And that, that's kind of one of the points that I, I try to make is that if you're a team that wants to level up their own kind of game, nobody should be stopping you uh, in a way. Um, jokingly, I said the same thing about DevOps. Um, like, did anybody ever stop you from collaborating between the two teams uh, from the management? Uh, probably not. But we had this in our mindset that it wasn't part of our job description to do this. And I think security is very similar. Like, if you believe this is part of quality of your application and we should do something about it, then it, it, it should get that attention. So, the, the problem usually is around getting the priority on the backlog. You you can have a million things that are important Um, and security could be one, stability could be one and features could be one. Um, Your product owner or your boss might say, well, I, I want to do something else first. And um, I have experienced myself many times that I would grumble and say, I don't agree with this. (laughs) I I don't agree with this priority. Uh, But like I learned a lot by running my own business. And sometimes you have to kind of decide that a feature is more important to gain us money than having it secure. And on, um, it is important that you have that conversation uh, on the level and not just look at it like, oh, security is important. I want to do this or a feature is important. And that kind of the, the blended backlog between all of those areas is probably the biggest challenge uh, of teams. Uh, I can't change your boss. Uh, you might convince him if you bring good arguments, but you do have to listen about uh, uh, the perspective of the business as well. Why is important? Do you want to spend time and money on it? Uh, and to learn from that as well.
2: Beautiful. Final question. How can someone who coined DevOps do anything else after that? And maybe more broadly, what and what kind of sort of career paths do you see for the DevOps engineers in the audience? And what does the future look like for someone invested in this field?
1: Yeah, it's, uh, it's an interesting question. Um, well, it depends a little bit on your equation or definition of DevOps. If you look at DevOps as we're the engineer that build the containers and now that everybody has containers, right? You know, what's left to do? Um, when I was working with um, a team that we were doing using a lot of external APIs, so a lot of the uh, the shift is currently going from uh, using containers or services inside to using external services supplied by other uh, companies, um, and they might not even be in your own company anymore. So how can you control them? And I struggled a long time between well, will an API from Google or Amazon replace us and we're done? Uh, The funny part is it has just moved the abstraction layer but now we are responsible again for dealing with multi-cloud to make sure it keeps on working. We have to monitor the clouds again. We have to monitor the services again. We kind of have to make those reliable. Uh, We kind of have to reverse engineer how they work on the other side, uh, just in case things happening, we have to understand the restrictions. So we might not have been talking any more CPU and memory, but the same kind of problems will just keep existing, and you know everybody loves to say like ops or no ops, and we're not doing ops anymore it's just going to shift and and be different uh and and that's what i see we we're, we're moving to the services economy um more and more and and that is what I think'll we'll be moving uh towards and where I see tools like um Uh, Terraform kind of moving from, you know, cloud abstraction to more services abstraction and kind of like deal with uh, those at the higher level uh, layer.
2: Wonderful. Thank you so, so much. There's a lot of discussions going on in the chat. So if you have a moment, go check it out and we'll move on to the next speaker.